The title you probably have is, Are You Right or Righteous? But I give it another title, which is The Wrong Side of Right. Are You Right or Righteous? Or you may give it a second title, The Wrong Side of Right. It's eight minutes after seven. We'll be here, out of here, before eight o'clock. I can assure you of that. A lady was living in a house on a lot owned by somebody else. She was single, three children between the ages of five and one, and she was carrying a fourth one, perhaps six or seven months advanced. She lost whatever source of income she had, and the landlord gave her one month to come up with the rent. She was already three months behind. She could not come up with the rent, had no family, had been deserted by her husband or the father of the children. And the landlord went to the courts, exercised his legal rights, and had her served with an eviction notice. And when she lingered like Lot lingered before leaving Sodom. The man exercised his rights again and had the sheriff come and put all her possessions on the sidewalk and she and her children next to them. She was taken to court for failure to pay and the judge sat listening to the landlord make his case and the judge could find no fault with the landlord's case. The woman was behind in her rent three months. The fact that she had three little children and one on the way made not one whit of difference to the law. He had exercised his right and there was nothing the judge could do. And the judge found the woman guilty. Awarded the man sufficient damage which the judge himself paid and then took the woman into her house, his house to live in his basement, which was fully furnished and unoccupied. Why did the judge do that? Was he genetically kind? Was he inhuman? Was he different from the rest of us? No, he wasn't. But he was troubled. He was moved with sympathy for this woman who was wrong. And he was brimful of dislike for the landlord who was right. But was the furthest man from being righteous. There is an ocean of difference between being right and being righteous. And this is the message I want to nail into all of our skulls tonight. Let's go to Genesis chapter 14. Let's read the first nine verses. As we continue, are you right or righteous or the second choice as a subject, the wrong side of right? Genesis chapter 14, we shall read verses 1 through 9. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, 
king of Elisar, Kedoleoma, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admer, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the vale of Sidim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Kedoleoma, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Kedoleoma and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim, and the Zuzim in Ham, and the Emims in Shaveh Kiriathim, and the Horites in the Mount Seir unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazazon Tamar. And they went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Admah, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, the same is Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Sidim, with Kedoleoma, king of Elam, and with Tidal, king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisa, four kings with five. There is a battle that is about to brew. Four kings have come from the other side of the Euphrates River, led by Kedo Leoma, king of Elam. Accompanying him was Amraphel, king of Shinar. Shinar is the land of Babylon. It's an ancient name for the land of Babylon. Tidal, king of nations, and Ariok, king of Elisa. They are coming on a punitive campaign against five of the cities of the plains where Lot chose to live. Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Zeboim, and Bela. Obviously, probably before Abraham had gotten into Canaan, these nations had conquered this part of the world and they had rebelled as conquered nations tend to do and perhaps ought to do. So the nations return now to put down this rebellion. And in verse 10, the Bible says now of Genesis 14, And the veil of Sidim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountains. When the war began, the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah turned and ran. Fled. And they hid somewhere in this vast area of slime pits. Verse 11 tells us, And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Now Lot, you know from Genesis chapter 13, had chosen to live next to Sodom. We first find him on the plains. Now in chapter 14, we find him in Sodom. It is a dangerous thing to get close to evil. You may think you can keep your distance, but evil does one of two things. Evil's philosophy is, if the mountain won't go to you, you should go to the mountain. When we draw near to evil, and we grit our teeth and we make an effort not to go any closer, then evil comes to us. But evil first tries to draw us to it 
And so from chapter 13, we have Lot living in the plains. Chapter 14, he's in the city of Sodom. Verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. Now Abram was living also in the land of Canaan because God had sent him there. But Abraham had conducted himself in such a way that the surrounding nations respected him and regarded him as a leader in social cases and perhaps in military expeditions as well. So one of the tribal leaders was Eshcol, another one was Aner, another one was Mamre. Abraham was living in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite. And they regarded Abraham as an ally. The Bible says in verse 14, And when Abraham, Abram, he wasn't Abraham then. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive. Notice he's not his nephew. It's his brother. In spiritual matters, we're not sons and daughters or cousins. and We are brothers and sisters. So Lot now is not so much a nephew. He is Abram's brother. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Now Abram hears that a relative of his has been captured by Kedoleoma, by Amraphel, by Tidal, and by Arioch. They have defeated Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Zeboim, and Bela. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah have fled. One man who escaped the battle, knowing who Lot was related to, he comes to Abram and he tells Abram the sad news. Your nephew who lived in Sodom has been captured. And Abram arms his trained servants, goes in pursuit of these four armies combined. We don't know how many there were, but four armies combined must be many more than 318 which Abraham had. But when you're on God's side, you outnumber anyone else, even if it's you and God. And so Abraham, and he, the Bible says, he pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. Verse 16 describes the total victory that Abraham won, or Abram. And he brought back what? all the goods and also brought again his brother lot and his goods and the women also and the people abram recovers everything and just about everyone who was left alive when we fight under the banner of the righteousness of christ our victories are complete our victories are total. When the Israelites were fleeing across the Red Sea from Egyptian slavery at God's command, when they got over the other side, the Egyptian army entered that pathway thinking they could cross on dry land. God brought the waters back together, drowned them. The Bible says not one Egyptian soldier escaped. Meaning that if the Israelites had chosen to go back to Egypt, they would have chosen to go back not because the Egyptian army took them back, but because they themselves decided to go back. Very often, we blame the church for chasing us away. 
This person said that, and I left the church. And this person didn't like my shoe, and I left the church. We decide to leave the church. Listen to me. No one can tear you from the arms of Christ if you are determined to remain in the arms of Jesus Christ. No one can pluck you from his hand. That's what he said. And Abraham went in search of these men in pursuit to deliver Lot. And when God delivers the righteous, God's kindness is so overwhelming, it splashes over all the others who are in the area of the righteous. So Abraham did not only just bring back Lot, he brought back everybody else. It pays to get close to Christians. Is it a safe place to be when someone gets close to you? Is a person who gets close to me safe? You know how Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph? You know how Laban was blessed because of Jacob and Laban said that? I have learned by experience that God has blessed me because of you. Are people blessed because of us? And I've asked that before. Abraham brought back everything and everyone, including Lot. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedoleoma and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shave, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hands. And he gave him tithes of most that he had. Correct me loudly so it gets on tape. <laughs> And he gave him tithe of all. And he gave him tithe of the net. And he gave him tithe of all. What's another word for all? Gross. Am I clear enough or should I? Can I move on? I can move on. And he gave him tithe of all. Now, here is where our story gives meaning to our subject. The wrong side of right. Or are you right or righteous? Abram fought this battle, recovered Lot, and all the goods. Verse 16 says it was Abram who brought back all the goods. All the people brought back Lot under the conditions which battles were fought back then. Everything Abram brought back was his. Including Lot. <laughs> Did you hear me? Everything Abram captured in that war and every person was his because wars back then ended in selling people in slavery, capturing the inhabitants, uh, relocating them and doing whatever you want. They were treated like chattel possessions. To prove this, the king of Sodom comes to Abram in verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Now, when those four kings came and started fighting, what did the king of Sodom do? He ran, verse 10, and he was hiding in a slime pit. Now the battle is over, and it is won. He shows up. There's a group of faithful people planning to build a church, fundraising. You can't find some people. 
Laying the foundations, you can't find them. Doing some cement, you can't find them. Go the extra mile with some contributions, you can't find them. Sponsor some pews, you can't find them. Church is finished. Up there pop up, want to be head elder. Not anywhere around when perspiration is required, but the first in line when the, the benefits are passed out. That man was in a slime pit hiding. Now he comes to tell Abraham how to distribute that which he has captured. But he's very careful, you see, because Abram, who just defeated four armies, can destroy him like that. So he says, he makes a suggestion. Give me the person's meaning, those inhabitants of my city who were captured, give them back to me that I may repopulate my city. But Abram, you take all the silver that you got, all the gold, all the silk, all the diamonds, the pearls, whatever else you kept, you keep it. And he probably said to himself, I am in no military position to argue with you. Abram, you keep everything, just give me the people back. Remember, this man is the king of Sodom. Sodom is no different from Gomorrah. Sodom is no different from Adma, from Zeboim, or from Bela, the cities of the plains which God came to destroy in chapter 18 of the book of Genesis. This representative of Sodom is now making a bargain with a representative of the kingdom of God. That's who Abraham was. And the reason why we're told in Galatians 3.29, If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Abraham, in a sense, represents the child of God. When the child of God receives bargains from the world, what does the child of God do? It was a tempting offer. Keep all the money. Give me the people. You won't have to feed them. I'll feed them. I'll take care of them. Just keep the money. Verse 22. Let's listen to our father Abram. And by the way, if you read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, Sarah is our mother. You can say amen. Godly woman. Sarah is our mother, spiritually. Abram, our father, spiritually. Verse 22, and Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet. And I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. Do you know what a thread is? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You put on your gown, you go into a banquet. You know the gown you keep in a special climate control part of your closet. And you see a little string hanging down. And you get a specially bought scissors, diamond encrusted handles, and you snip that thread off. Abraham said, I will not take from a thread. Men, you're wearing shoes. They're shoe latchets that you have on your shoes. 
Abraham said, I will take nothing from you. And he gives the reason. Lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. Are you right or righteous? Abram had the right to take everything he brought back. Are you listening to me? He had the absolute right based on the customs of that day and the fact that he was standing in front of his own personal victorious army looking at a king who just came out of hiding. And if Abram had decided to take all the goods and the people, there was nothing the pitiful king of Sodom could have done. That man, as we say, was over a barrel and was begging. Abraham would have been in his rights to have taken everything. But that action would not have been a righteous one. Abraham chose righteousness over being right. Because Abraham's choice of righteous action, rather than pressing his rights, was based on the fact that his behavior would reflect on his maker. So Abram says in verse 22, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord. Now I am responsible to him to lift up your hand is to swear an oath. Revelation 10 verse 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lift up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever. Who created heaven and the things that therein are? To lift up the hand is a symbol of swearing. And Abraham said, I have sworn before God. He didn't say, I am swearing now. The tense is important. I have sworn. Abraham had previously made up his mind that after the battle, he would have nothing to do with the spoils. Very often people say, if someone stole my car, I don't know what I'd do. Let me politely suggest you need to know what you'll do. Don't wait until it's stolen. If someone runs into the back of my car on Highway 10, I don't know what I'll do. Know before it happens what you will do or you will do the wrong thing. Don't allow the circumstance to tell you what to do. Allow the standards of righteousness to tell you beforehand. If anything happens to me, I will approach it from the perspective of God's standard of righteousness. I have to wait until it happens, then I'll know. Wrong thinking. Let us know now. So if you're taking an exam... And you see the answer sheet accidentally left by the professor on the desk right next to you. You ought to know before the exam, I don't cheat. And not wait till you get there to say, oh my, I have a decision to make. No, come with a decision. 
I don't cheat. Whether there's an exam sheet on this desk and that desk ahead of me and behind. So Abram said, I've lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, that I will not take. Little things are very important, my beloved brothers and sisters. Not a thread, nor a shoe latchet. I will take nothing because I don't want you to have anything over me. My success in life must not be attributable to the contributions of Sodom. Because when that happens, then Sodom can exercise some control over you. And so Loma Linda should say, we owe you nothing. We're accountable to God alone for what we do. The business you run should be able to say through you, I am not accountable to you. I run an honest business. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I return my tithe. I prefer to suffer a loss than to bring God's name down in the dirt. Let me tell you something, those of you with businesses, it is better in the sight of God to suffer a loss and be righteous than make a profit and be right. Because there is nothing higher than righteousness. But look at Abram, how his righteousness extends. The next verse. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Anna, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Abraham was thinking of whom? Someone else. With all the wealth laid out behind him for the taking or laid out before him, Abraham said, give it to them. I don't want it. Okay, you and they, all the same thing. Not me. I'm a child of God. When I turn around and ride off at the head of my troops, you must say, that man cannot be bought. This was not an accidental event in the life of Abram. Let's go to chapter 13, the previous chapters we continue. Are you right or righteous? 25 minutes to 8. Are you right or righteous? Let's read from verse 5 of Genesis 13. In chapter 12, Lot has deceived Pharaoh, saying that Sarah was his sister. The Lord sends plagues on Pharaoh. Pharaoh jumps out of his room, goes to Abraham, complains, sends Abraham away, evicts Abraham. Abraham goes out with Sarah and Lot, and they leave Egypt, coming on back to Canaan. Verse 5 says, And Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might live together, for their substance was great so that they could not live together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. That's critical. Wherever Christians are, there's a Canaanite and a Perizzite in the land watching you. So here's Abram. Here's Lot. Their possessions are so great, they cannot even occupy a certain part of a country. They are surrounding nations, perhaps aware there is a strife between Abram's cattlemen and Lot's herders, and the others who also had cattle and herds are watching these two strangers, these Hebrews. How will they settle this? 
Abraham is aware that he is in a fishbowl. Do you know we are in a fishbowl? And the unbeliever knows exactly how we should behave. And Abraham said unto Lot, verse 8, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. What's the reason why there should be no strife? We be brethren. Do you know how many churches have broken up because one group was right? And the other group was right? Both groups were right. And so they split because they were right. One group wants the wall blue. The other group wants it bluish. And so they split. I mean, churches, there are crises in churches for no other reason than people stick to their rights. Somewhere in the Zara of Ages, Ellen White said, Jesus never, never stood up for his rights. Never. And so Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, Genesis 13, 8, betwixt me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate, I pray, thyself from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now Abram is giving up his right of choice to Lot. Why? For the sake of peace and righteousness. Lot, you choose. I am your uncle. I am your elder relative. But you choose. I surrender my primary right of choice. You take it. Because what I am defending is not rights, but righteousness. The Perizzite and the Canaanites are watching us. So let's not go to court, Lot. Let's not go to court, Lot. Let's not go to court, Lot. You know, Adventists believe we shouldn't sue each other. Do you know that? Officially. That's my escape valve, officially. Verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of God, as thou comest unto, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Lot sees this well watered land. He has flocks. He needs water. He needs grass. He sees water. He sees grass. He was given a choice. He exercises it. How can you put a man in jail for that? And he left Abram in the higher elevations where it is not very well suited for grazing that part of the world. He chose the choicest part. And he moved on, pitched his tent in the cities of the plains. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, a lot towards Sodom. Verse 13 says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now, God honors righteous action over that which is just right. 
Let me explain what I mean. After Abram lost the best land for grazing to his, to his, his nephew, who in the very next chapter he will save <laughs> from invading armies, tells you something of Abraham, no grudges. After Lot chose selfishly, exercising the right, Abraham had just ceded to him. Verse 14, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him. Lot is gone. Abram is probably wondering, where will I find some good grazing for all my cattle? Abraham was rich. You look at verse 2 of Genesis 13, and Abram is very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Because when he deceived Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 12, Pharaoh gave him a lot of stuff in verse 16. Sheep, oxen, he, he camels, maidservants, maidservants, she camels, asses, everything he gave Abram. Abraham had flocks, huge herds. And Lot has the best grazing land. But Abraham did what was righteous, and God rewards righteousness. And the Bible says in verse 14, Genesis 13, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Now here's what God told Abram. Abraham was a human being. He probably thought he suffered a great loss. But let me tell you something. Very often in doing what's right, we will suffer loss. But we will never suffer spiritual loss. It may be temporal loss. It may be financial loss. It may be loss of health. It may be loss of friends. It may be loss of family. It may be loss of possessions. Loss of job. But when doing that which is righteous, we never suffer loss in the eyes of God. And that counts. And so God said to Abram, look, I know you're heartbroken over what happened, but lift up your eyes. Look as far as you can see north. If you went out of that building, now where is north? Is that north? All right. Well, let's call that north. I don't want to turn around. If the Lord says to you, go out of that door, gentry, and look, okay, look south. As far as you can see, and you lift up your eye on a clear day, cloudless, and you look south, what would you see? Hmm? You're looking up, south. What do you see? Way out in the distance. What color do you see? Blue. What's that? That's south. How far is that? How far is that? That's way off the earth. God didn't say, look south for 10 miles. Are you listening to me? He said, look south. Look north, look south, look east, look west. As far north as you can look, Abraham, you look. Abraham looked and he couldn't stop looking. The Lord said, look south. Look east, look west. All that you see, including what Lot just took. I'm going to give to you. Everything you see, and if you read Romans 4.11, that statement from God, Romans 4.13, that promise from God was a promise that Abram would inherit the whole world. What did Lot get? Some land outside of Sodom. Abraham got the whole world. God honors righteous behavior. 
it is more important to be righteous than to be right. There are people who die on the highway every day because a driver in the right side lane, driving an 18-wheeler, doing the legal limit 69.9 in a 70-mile area, there's a car trying to come onto the highway. He will not slow down. He either moves over or the person goes into the ditch, but he's right. He's in his lane. He's in the legal speed, and the person goes into the ditch. Rolls over, dies, and he's right, and he's gone. He hasn't broken the law. It's the person entering that has to be careful. The person driving has the right of way. The right of way has killed more people than anything you can think about. People are shot on the highway because someone held to the right of way. I didn't realize the person you squeeze had a history of homicide. And you're dead. The child of God is not excited by exercising his or her rights. The child of God exercises that which is righteous. Now when right and righteous are to the same, then glory, hallelujah. But very seldom is someone sticking up for his or her rights acting righteously. That's why Jesus never stuck up, stuck up, or stood up for his rights. The title I gave first, Are you right or righteous? Don't answer. But which is it as you talk to yourself in your heart, and as I talk to myself in my heart, which is it? Abram conducted himself in such a way that no one would have anything hanging over his head. His character and the character of his God was important to him in dealing with his relative lot in Genesis 13, in dealing with unbelievers in Genesis 14. Let's see Abram again in Genesis 23. This was the man's pattern of life. In Genesis 23, a sad chapter, Sarah is dead. Abraham loved this woman. For many years, Abraham saw all kinds of kings try to take Sarah from him. That must have been one beautiful woman. And she's dead. Verse 1, Genesis 23. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abram came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. How sad. He comes to mourn for this woman that he loved and to weep. The Christian life has moments of sadness. But in the moments of sadness, when the dark clouds of grief and depression encompass us, God is in that cloud with us. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and said unto the sons of Heth, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Abraham, even though God has promised the land of Canaan to this man, his wife is dead, his most cherished person on the face of the earth, and Abraham can't find any land in which to bury his wife. Sometimes that which God promises us, we have to wait and wait and wait for reasons best known to God. The children of Heth answered Abram, saying unto him, Hear us, my lord, 
Thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayst bury thy dead. They're saying, look, you are a mighty prince among us. We respect you. We know you. Pick any tomb you want, and you can have it. And Abram stood up and bowed down him, bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zoar the Hittite, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which is in his field, which he hath, which is in his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for bearing place amongst you. Abraham is saying, I want to buy this land so that I have no ties to the Hittites. I want to buy it. They want to give it to him. Now, we all love a freebie, am I right? You know the advertising experts. A word that catches every eye is free. Easy and quick. They want to give it to him. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth. Verse 10. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of sons of Heth, saying, Nay, my lord, hear me. The field I do what? I give thee. And the cave that is therein, give I thee. Ephron wants to give this thing to Abraham. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself before the people of the land. And he spake unto Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it me, I pray thee, I will give thee money for the land or for the field. Hear me, Abraham says. You don't understand. I want to buy this. Hear me. I will give thee money. Take it of me. And I will bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. Notice what he says now. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. It's only 400 shekels, Abram, take the land. But Abram would not take that land for free. Because if he does that, he is somehow written on the records of history that he is obligated to the Hittites. And the child of God must have no ties to the world. The world shouldn't come and close my school because I owe the world so much money. The world must have no control over that which belongs to God's people. None. Abraham said, I don't want this land free. Children of God are not freeloaders. But we'll take a free Sabbath meal every week. That's not a different thing altogether. So remember me, please. But we're not freeloaders of the world. And Abraham in 16, Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver he had named. The presence of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. In Genesis 13, Abram gave up his right to Lot. You choose. 
Genesis 14, Abram refused to exercise his military right of conquest and he told his king of Sodom, you keep everything. Just give something to those who came with me. If they're taken care of, I am fine. I find great joy in seeing others taken care of. Somebody say amen. Why did Jesus go to the cross? For the what set before him? The joy. The joy of seeing me saved and the joy of seeing you saved he accepted crucifixion. How can we be any different in our characters? And in chapter 23, looking for a piece of land to bury his wife. What a tender, heartbreaking scene it must have been to see Abraham trying to get these Hittites. I need a piece of land just to bury my wife. And the Hittites seem to be so accommodating. Take it. But not even moments of intense grief are excuses to suffer lapses of righteousness. I know you didn't hear me. There is no excuse not to exercise righteous judgment. You know what Ellen White says? I don't remember where, but I can find it for you. She says, not even death and sickness are good excuses for a minister to leave uh, soul winning to go back home mm, is a good response not even that's how important soul winning is not even I, I need to find that quote and give it to you before I leave here because you look shell-shocked not even death and sickness are good enough reasons for a minister to leave a soul winning uh, opportunity and go back home You would think at the moment when a man is broken with grief over the death of a wife he loves so much and that he would lose a sense of balance and reasoning and do something rash and the whole world would understand. That's how we reason. Who was under more stress than Christ going up Golgotha? Hmm? Wouldn't it have been an excuse for him to say, turn to the right, go down an alley, forget this. Who would not understand? God wouldn't, the Holy Spirit wouldn't, and Jesus himself wouldn't. Don't you realize that when Adam and Eve sinned, it's six to eight, Jesus had the right to let them stew in the oil of their iniquity. Do we understand that? Do you know if they had not decided to save the world, they would have been right? Jesus would have been right to leave us in a mess we expertly made. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane sweating great drops of blood, if he had changed his mind and gone back, he would have been right. But the universe would have missed a demonstration of righteousness. Which is what the gospel gives. Righteousness. Saving people who don't deserve to be saved and yet doing that without staining his reputation as a just God. They would never have seen that. If Jesus had had his right and said, I didn't sin, let them die. He gave up that right and gave to the universe a lesson in righteousness and love so great 
that sin will have no chance to rise the second time. Are we right or righteous? If you're presently in a dispute at work, at home, the church, playground, basketball court, the ball is mine, no, it's yours, it went off your shoe, it went off your shirt. I want all of us to ask God to help us to approach every situation with a determination to act righteously. Righteously. Because being right is not always being right. Righteously. Do you have cards with you? You do? I want you to take them. Three minutes to eight. I want to take the cards. Give me five minutes. May I have that? Thank you. God bless you. Take a half hour. All right. No, I won't push my luck. Take your card. Think of what I said. Think of your father Abram, my father, spiritual father. With respect to Lot, he gave up his right. Would not have Lot say, my uncle was unfair to me. With respect to the king of Sodom, he gave up his right. The king of Sodom could have everything because Abram did not want the king of Sodom to say that the Hebrew is indebted to me. With respect to the sons of Heth, Abraham insisted on paying his way so that the world could not say that we have done something for you. Abram walked through Canaan and left no debts. No one could say, this man owes us something. Because Abram was a righteous man and his actions were righteous. We can make a decision tonight that can cut down conflict in our lives by 75%. If we will decide tonight, from this point on, by the grace of God, the enabling, sustaining grace of God, we will seek to do that which is righteous. Not necessarily right. Even if we suffer a loss. You can say amen to that. Heaven suffered some kind of loss when Jesus came. It was righteousness that led to salvation. Heaven did the righteous thing. And God wants us to act the same. You see, ultimately, righteous behavior is sacrificial behavior. You give something up for the sake of something else. Abraham sacrificed all that wealth that the king of Sodom may have nothing over him. Abraham sacrificed his right to choose first that Lot may have no complaints. Abraham sacrificed the gift of a piece of land that the Hittites may have nothing over him. Jesus, God sacrificed his son that in the judgment no man may say there was something else you could have done. Doesn't the Bible say, gather my saints unto me, those who have made a covenant with me by what? sacrifice righteousness is self-sacrificial here's what I want you to write on that card if you will say Lord my heart has been touched by the word I want by your grace one day at a time one 
incident at a time to respond righteously as God responded to sin, as Abraham responded time and again, give me a heart, which is a heart where the commandments of righteousness are written. Give me that heart to treat every situation righteously. If you will say that, put a large R on that card. And then put a plus sign at the top of the right-hand side of the R. Write an R and then plus. Because I don't want the R to remind me of right. I want it to remind me of righteous. Put an R and then do that. I'm telling you from my heart, this would cut out so many conflicts in our lives, in churches, wherever people get together. Because of the sinful nature, we think we have rights. But the nature of Christ is to sacrifice for the sake of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And that mind is back in verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let nothing be done to thrive and vain glory, verse 3. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That is the mind of Christ. Paul says, you have that mind, and I need that mind. And R with a plus sign. Now I want you to stand. One minute after eight. I have an appeal to make. You need to be brave to respond. Anyone here who knows now under conviction of the Spirit that in some recent exchange you have dealt unrighteously with someone you may have been right, but you weren't righteous. And you want to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Raise your right hand. God bless you. Keep your hands up if it doesn't hurt. I'm serious. Keep it up. Heads bowed. Father, we come to apologize. Very simply and very earnestly, we have acted unrighteously by sticking up for rights which is contrary to Jesus, contrary to you, and contrary to your spirit, yea, at a lower level, contrary to our spiritual father Abraham. Lord, we are embarrassed and we're sorry. Father, being Christ-like is more than just saying so. It involves some suffering, some loss, for the protection of your righteousness. Now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, give us a divine impulse to view every situation, come to every negotiation, looking at it through the lens of the standard of righteousness, your holy law, which was given, according to Romans 10, for our lives, not our death. Forgive us, God. Perhaps we didn't know better. Now we know. Give us the courage of Jesus to do what's righteous. Far beyond and above what's right. Father, I believe you've heard this prayer. You've washed away that sin. You're giving us now a clean slate to fill it with righteous writings. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.